If you're still on the hunt for a sports book to call home, bet the nonstop action of March Madness with my bookie. Enter bracket contests for a chance to take home prizes of up to $25,000 or pick from a huge selection of straight bets, props, and odds boosts. Whatever your style, MyBookie makes it easy to play your way and get paid. Sign up now and take advantage of our generous welcome offer to score a massive first deposit bonus of up to $1,000. All you have to do is claim promo code MADNESS50. But the fun doesn't stop there. Get up to the minute odds, free bets, and expert predictions to help you decide who to put your money on. The best part about MyBookie? You can bet on anything, anytime, from anywhere. Use promo code MADNESS50, that's MADNESS50, to secure your limited-time welcome bonus today. To the Sooner Nation podcast, Matt Hofeld, along with Rich DeCray. Um, packed, packed episode. I'm going to go ahead and throw this out there now. I expect we will go over the one-hour time limit for this podcast because we have so much to talk about. The NBA Finals are set, Toronto and Golden State. Probably not going to talk about that much, very much. Uh, Women's World, Women's College World Series is set, both Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. We'll be representing the Big 12. We'll jump into that. Um, NCAA baseball tournament bracket is set. Oklahoma not going to be represented there. Um, Here's what I want to start out with, Rich. Um, By the way, Chris Plank coming up today uh, to talk uh, specifically about Women's College World Series. Probably one of the best previews that you'll hear uh, in preparation for Thursday night's opener against Alabama. The one and only voice of the Sooners softball, Chris Plank. You've got some Kyler Murray news. We're going to break down Big 12 receivers. I mean, it's, again, a packed episode. But here's what I want to start out with. Last week we talked about Athlon, their preseason predictions of how things will shake out. Uh, Have you had a chance to see Sporting News bowl predictions for their uh, preseason bowl predictions? I have not, honestly. I know that you sent them to me, but I, I didn't get an opportunity to look at them. All right, well, um, here we go. They've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. They've got eight out of ten Big 12 teams making a bowl this coming season, all right? And I'm glad you haven't looked at them because I want to play a little game. You know how much I like to play games. So I'm going to mention the bowl, and you tell me which Big 12 team you think they've predicted to go to that bowl, okay? Okay. All right, here we go. Fun times are ahead of us. (laughs) All right, so the Serve Pro First Responders Bowl. Wow, that exists. <laughs> um, if if I had to just throw a team out there, this is a complete guess. Well, they're all going to be complete Yeah, guesses. I know. But there's somewhere where I think you could use a little bit of deductive knowledge and get there. Um, or your detective skills. I don't know, Baylor? Texas Tech versus Northwestern. Okay. Here we go. The Cheez-It Bowl. Cheez-It Bowl. This was the bowl that TCU uh, and Cal, I think, had negative yards offense altogether, went into overtime, went at like 6-3 or three or something like that last year. Cheez-It Bowl. Baylor? Are USC, you picking up a theme yet? USC versus <laughs> Baylor in the Cheez-It Bowl. Academy Sports and Outdoors Texas Bowl. Um, Going to go Iowa State. TCU versus Mississippi State. So you got one. You're one and two if we're keeping track at home. The Camping World Bowl. 
Iowa State. <laughs> Oklahoma State versus Pitt. A rematch of a couple of years ago when they played in the regular season. The Valero Alamo Bowl. How many teams are going bowling? I told here? you, eight out of ten. Did. That just seems crazy to me. Um, the Valero, the Valero Alamo Bowl, Kansas State. That's going to be Utah versus Iowa State. See, I should have stuck with it. Uh, you should have. Should have stuck with it. The Liberty Bowl, AutoZone Liberty Bowl. Mm. West Virginia. Yes, West Virginia versus Texas A&M, the All-State Sugar Bowl. Texas. Oklahoma versus Georgia, which means the Fiesta mm. Bowl semifinal game for the national championship is Texas. They've got mm. Clemson versus Texas. That means they've got Texas winning the Big 12, Oklahoma coming in, uh, losing. That. For them to be in the Sugar Bowl, they would have to lose that Big 12 championship game against the Longhorns. So a little bit different. I mean, and that's, it's going to be um, kind of you pick your pleasure as you prepare for the Big 12 uh, you know, season. Some outlets are going to have Oklahoma. Some outlets are going to have Texas. It, it's, I mean, Texas is the truth is Texas is the flavor of the month right now. Whenever you're on top, you know, we, we talk about this all the time. The most, the most popular position on any football team is what? It's the backup quarterback. The backup quarterback. Everybody wants to talk about the guy who's not the man, right? Well, that's how it is now with Oklahoma. They've won the league four years in a row, and so everyone's starting to look at who could be that next guy that might actually be better than the guy, and that's going to be Texas, which is is interesting to me because I, I've got a lot of problems with this Texas roster, but here's the thing. I, I'm curious how they're going to handle actually having preseason expectations because all the years, even, you know, Tom Herman hadn't been there a long time, but going back to Charlie Strong, the preseason expectation was just get better, right? Get better from last year. Well, now the expectation is you, you were there, you you were there and you were, you won the Sugar Bowl, you played for the Big 12 Championship. Now the expectation is to actually win the Big 12 Championship. And so... It's going to make a make it interesting for Texas as they head in to the 2019 season. Uh, he's Rich. I'm Matt. The Sooner Nation podcast. We got Chris Plank coming up to talk some Oklahoma softball. All right, we want to bring in one of our favorite guests. Probably, honestly, Chris, in, in terms of appearances, the most popular guest on the Sooner <laughs> Nation podcast. The one and only Chris Plank. Uh, and you have you wear so many hats now. I don't know how to actually describe you. Other than for this purpose, we're going to say the play-by-play voice for the Oklahoma Sooners softball. Hey, there's there's a core to it, and the core is that it it involves the Oklahoma Sooners. Everything else is everything else is a planet in orbit. This is my son. This is what matters to me the most. So <laughs> I am uh, just say with the uh, with the Sooner Radio Network, Matty, and I'm good to go. But thanks for having me on. I really dig talking uh, Diamond Sports with you. Yeah, man. Well, a lot of a lot of exciting things happening. Um, with the softball team, number one overall seed in the tournament, blows through the Norman Regional um, with just a little bit of a hiccup against Wisconsin and then just uh, a total sweep of, of uh, Northwestern, not even allowing a single run to score. Based on what your, your experience as calling this team, where do you see some of the primary differences between last year's team that was really good and this year's team? Last year's team and this year's team are strikingly similar. You know, you kind of – it's interesting because you can go 
place by place and piece by piece and kind of look at who has individually replaced him. But I would say one of the, to me, major differences is I, there, there were times last year where I just, I had this feeling that they were, um, they were invincible. Right. And, uh, and, and there was just moments. I've had that feeling all season long with this team. In fact, you go, you go back to their three losses and I'm just, I'm jaw dropped. It's like, what happened? How, how did that happen? And even though two of them came early in the season, so it, they're, they're very similar. You know, you, you, you swap out a page Parker for a G Juarez, you swap out a page Lowry for a Shannon sale. You know, I don't, I don't think there's ever going to be a replacing a Kelsey Arnold's leadership, but a Grace Lyons has slid in a, you know, I know physically your center fielder was Nicole Pinley, but, I mean, you get the bat of a gray screen that kind of replaces that. And uh, then, of course, Lindsay Elam behind the plate to Leah Wodak. But, yeah, I, there were moments watching last year's team where I thought, oh, my gosh, this team is not going to get beat. Uh, I, I've had that feeling all year long with this team. So kind of a minor thing. But just, you know, from a strategic perspective, uh, I think, I think this, this team at the plate is a little bit more well-rounded. And by that, I mean, I, I don't you know. Sometimes we could argue about the struggles that maybe the lower third in that lineup had last year. But even though Grace Lyons had a bit of a rough super regional, I mean, she could flat out mash it. And, you know, Lindsay Elam has shown, even though she kind of had a tough, you know, five, seven game stretch, whatever it was this past week, uh, she has shown that she can mash it. So I just, I feel like it's a much more well-rounded lineup and you don't see any part of this lineup and say, oh, well, there's probably an out or there's someone who is going to be able to, who a team might be able to take advantage of. And you, you don't have that with this team. So that's very reassuring. I know for some fans, and understandably so, there was a little bit of uh, panic and concern after they lost their game to, to Wisconsin. But, man, Wisconsin's pitcher, I, I, I don't know how, but she was finding a way, man. And, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, you get that confidence rebuilt with what you saw against Northwestern, I think, on, on Friday and Saturday. So, anyway, I went off on a beaten path there. But I think when you're comparing this year to last year, very similar – but I, just, I feel like this offense is a little bit more well-rounded than it was last year. No, I totally agree. And, and I feel like that's where this team, to me, and, I, and I, my exposure to them is nowhere compared to yours, but in the games I've been to and the interviews I've done, they seem to be more confident than what I, I picked up from them last year. And even you, you mentioned the Wisconsin loss. You know, We were there for that. We saw them lose. We were shocked, you know. Just got. To, I mean, I felt like Shannon Stell was put in a bad spot, and certainly G. War was put in a bad spot uh, coming in with the, with the runners on base, and then just going small ball on her. But even with that loss in the super in the in the regional, you just. I mean, they were confident. I had no doubt that they were going to win that that last game on Sunday right. to, to go into the supers, just because of the the confidence. And I'm looking over at the dugout. Because they moved, I, I was on the, the first base side of Media Row, and they moved mm-hmm. from the home dugout to the visitor dugout for that last game. And you just just watching them, just watch them take out on the field before game. They were loose, they were smiling, they were happy. You, you didn't see any sense of panic from them at all. And I kind of feel like that's just been their mo. And th- does that come from the senior leadership of like a Shay, uh, you know, Shay Knighton or uh, Sydney Romero? I mean, are, are those girls. They've been through it all, Chris. They've already won two national championships. They're gunning for their third. Is that is that where that comes from? Yeah, and I think you know if, if you want to really drill down to the core of that, I think that starts from the top. You know, I think that's Patty Gasso and what she has kind of instilled 
with this team from day one. All right, I'm, I, I have a big theory about this and why they are so calm and cool and why I think last Sunday was, well, I guess now two Sundays ago. I think why it was really good for them because for the first time in a long time, I think you saw this team grip a little bit during that regional because I think, Matt, I think they started talking about and thinking about the, the streak, and I really mm-hmm. do. So yeah. I, I look back, and I know that everyone's an expert. I get it, and I'm not trying to be a jerk. But I just I think they started looking at it and started thinking, oh, my gosh, we've won 41 straight games. And I don't want to say they started believing their own headlines, but maybe they started gripping a, a little bit more. And you're like, oh, well, I, we've got to live up to the standard. And so what I saw and what I've consistently seen in this team is an ability to play very free. You know, they don't. And that was the first time last weekend against our two weekends ago now against Wisconsin where I didn't think they played all that free. I thought they played a little bit tied. I thought, I mean, almost, dare I even say, a little bit nervous even. I know that's not what it was, but it just felt that way. And so to me, it's always, you know, it's always been about Patty Gasso, and she found the right buttons to push, and they survived that Sunday elimination game and put themselves in a position now to, to roll into the World Series as, again, one of the hotter teams. Hey, there's not, there's not many teams that are still playing on this weekend that have gone unscathed. You know, there's only a couple of them. And to be honest, I don't know if they played the best competition. I still think that outside of the Minnesota regional, I think Oklahoma had the toughest regional. I really do believe that. But where does it all come from? Where does all this confidence? It just, it just comes from that experience, you know. I've told this story a lot, and Coach Gasso and I talked about it in the post-game interview. I'll never forget talking to one of the parents during my first years. And my first year was 2016, and this was when they were going to the World Series, and they'd clinched a spot. And she said, you have no idea how satisfying this is. I'm like, oh, this is awesome. This is my first year. I guess this just happens all the time, right? And she kind of laughed and said, no, what you don't realize is when, when they lost Alabama and then you graduated – Oh, my gosh. I mean, think about that class. Shelby Pinney, right. Warren Chamberlain, um, Georgia Casey. I mean, that was a, as dominant of a group as you could have of position players, and Shelby could pitch it as well, too. She said there were travel ball coaches, and one in particular that I'll never forget that came up to me and said, man, it was really fun watching, uh, watching your daughter in the women's college or in the postseason. It's, it's sad that they're going to take a while now to rebuild and get back to this level, but we'll see in a couple of years and maybe by her senior year. And then, lo and behold, this freshman class comes in. They take the college, ba- college softball world by storm, and boom, uh, they're there this following year. So, you know, this, this is a group of what started as eight is now six freshmen that have just been so confident in their own abilities, and they really thrive on that passing the torch. Okay, I'm going to get on and give you an opportunity. And when you get that opportunity, you're going to give the next player an opportunity. So they uh, – this starts from the top with Patty, but this team has been there. They've done that, and they understand what it takes. And now they, they've got a bad taste in their mouth from last year. You're listening to Sooner Nation online podcast for Heartland Sports. Special guest right now, Chris Plank from Sooner Sports uh, Network. Play-by-play voice of Oklahoma softball. Chris, 108 home runs this season. It was kind of a cool moment on Saturday to see that happen in the eighth inning. I'm um, sorry, seventh inning. I don't know why I said eighth. But um, going back to February. Is this team more potent when you when you consider the freshmen that are in the lineup, Grace, the two Graces? Are they more potent than you thought they'd be from the plate? Yes. Oh, no doubt. You know, the first time I saw 
both of them step. If I, I'll go back to the preseason. The first time I saw them step to the plate and kind of their mannerisms and how both Grace Green and Grace Lyons handled themselves, you thought, oh, boy, you know, you're, you lost a couple of seniors in that lineup that were potent in a Nicole Pinley, and what are you replacing them with? You're replacing them with Grace Lyons and Grace Green. So, yeah, I, they're, they're much more – they're much more – I've used this term before, diverse. You know, they can do a little bit of everything. But uh, they're a lot more power-based than even I could have imagined. And what's crazy to me is that they set this mark when Jocelyn Allo had kind of a an off year for home runs. I think she's up, what, to, to, to 15 or, or 16, whatever it is. But think about it. She hit, she's hit seven or eight of those since the series against Texas when she right. came back. So. You know, to to me, to see the way that they've been able to go about putting up these home run numbers, it's kind of amazing to me, especially when you consider that for, you know, for what you might consider a down year, you know, Jocelyn goes in the postseason with only 15 home runs. And uh, eight of those have come, I think it's more than that, actually. I think nine of those have come over the final uh, month and a half of the season. So, yeah, you know, it's interesting because, uh, Kelly Clifton had the most home runs that she's ever had in a season. Sid Romero had the most home runs that she's ever had in a season. So I don't think anyone imagined those two combining for 36 home runs this season. But, you know, here we are, and this has become a power-based attack that is, uh, boy, they're, they're, they're showing signs of kind of ramping back up after not the, the best performance in the regional. Yeah, and that, that home, run, home run that Jocelyn hit on Saturday, I, oh. I don't even know that that's even landed yet. That That's probably one of the hardest-hit balls I've ever seen uh, <laughs> there at, at the stadium. You know, I talked to her after after Oklahoma clinched the Big 12 championship on that, that opener of Bedlam. And, you know, she is – she you just kind of get the feeling from her. She's, she's rejuvenated. She's kind of relaxed. She's having fun again after taking the Kansas series off. How big? How big of a, of a of a role do you think it plays in that? I I don't get the sense. Last year they needed Jocelyn. They needed her to be the power hitter. They needed her to hit the home run. They needed her to have the season she had. With adding like Grace Green and you talked about Clifton and the the girls that are hitting for power that really haven't been to this point in their career. Do you feel like it's helped Jocelyn since taking that time off to realize, hey, they don't need me to hit a home run every time at bat. I think it has, but I don't, I don't think that that's her expectation. I really don't. I think, I think Joss, and I'm, I'm speaking for her, so, you know, I, just, I think she expects to hit one out of the park every time, and I think that was getting frustrating to her whenever she would play early and, and wasn't hitting a lot of home runs in the season. To me, she became a much more complete, a much more well-rounded hitter throughout the season. But what I've seen is somebody that, can, can take the ball uh, to all fields. Someone that, you know, even when they get behind the count, isn't saying, all right, I've got to make for, up for this by hitting it to the moon. She's been very smart. She's been selective. She's going to the opposite field. But I just think Jocelyn, in, in her mind, her identity was home runs, and she wasn't hitting a lot of them. And I think that kind of made things hard for her, and I don't think the game was fun for her. I'm very much speculating right now. Um, but I think once she got away, she realized, you know what, this is, this isn't a bad year. I think when she left, she was hitting like 350, you know? Right. Uh, right. I, I think she, you know, she had seven home runs, but she had multiple extra base hits. And I just, I, 
I, I think that realization of, yeah, I'm becoming a complete hitter. And she lived, she, she had 30 home runs her freshman year, okay? She's always going to be compared to, to Lauren Chamberlain, and she's always going to be talked about as a home run hitter. And I'm, I'm willing to bet those numbers stay up next year, even though it might be a little bit easier for teams to pitch around her next season, uh, depending on what the lineup looks like. And it's going to be a young team again next year. But um, I'm just – I'm, I'm so happy for her, Matt, because you could see it in her face that she wasn't having a lot of fun early, right? and you can see how much fun she's having now. And I think she's started to embrace this mindset that, hey, I'm, I'm becoming a complete, not just hitter, but a complete player, because it's no longer just about mashing home runs. It's about moving runners. It's about driving the ball to all areas of the field, and then you know, she makes the big catch to wrap up the uh, first game of the Super Regional, and she made a big throw in the game against Texas that led to a, a really necessary out in Austin, and she's becoming a complete outfielder as well. Yeah, and Patty talked about that after, I think, the first game of the Super mm-hmm. Regional. I just want to point out, you know, one other thing, you talked about her having fun, and she mentioned that multiple times after the first Bedlam game when they wrapped up the Big 12, that she's having fun again, and I don't I don't think it was the at bat that she crushed the home run. I think it was the one before. Um and she swung at, at a bad pitch. I mean she it was a bad swing, bad pitch and she was just reaching for it across the plate and swung and and it's kind of one of those things where we're like, ooh, you know? And then I just I watched her demeanor. She stepped out of the box. She she kind of looked up and looked around and she smiled. She just had this giant <laughs> smile on her face and and I said to the guy next to me and I was like, look, man, she's she's going to leave the park. I mean, with this the way she just her her attitude, her demeanor right now, she's going to leave the park. And I don't I don't think she did it on that at bat. I think it was the next at bat. She just came up and crushed it. But it all goes into what you're saying about her her temperament, her attitude, and just having fun. And, you know, Sydney Romero said that before the regional started. She, and I, the phrase that sticks in my mind is she said, you know, we're just we're taking joy in the journey. And uh, I think you, you see that across the board with this team. And when you look at the, the representation of the Big 12 in this tournament, you've got Oklahoma State upsetting the defending national champions, mm-hmm. who, by the way, is one of Oklahoma's three losses. Oklahoma swept the Cowgirls. This year, they're going to be in Oklahoma City. Texas comes within an inch of upsetting Alabama, and you could have had – it went crazy. You could have had Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and Texas all there. When you look at the quality of ball in the Big 12 compared to the to the SEC who got everybody in, the Pac-12 <laughs> who always has a, a great showing, you feel like the, the maybe the pendulum is swinging a little bit more towards the Big 12 beginning to get more – it's not just Oklahoma. It's 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 a deeper conference than than what really the perception was. Yeah, and you know, I, maybe this is very homeristic, and I'll be the first one to call myself out on it. But I do think that as Texas continues to get better, this might this was probably the worst team that Mike White is going to have at Texas. I mean, think about that. And they were the ninth national seed. And some are arguing that maybe they, they should have been in a position to, to host. Um, uh, Iowa State's getting better. Adrian Gregory and Texas Tech are getting better. Um, you know, Kansas has a new head coach. Glenn Moore is going to have Kansas, or pardon me, Baylor back next year. And by the way, in Kansas' new coach and Jennifer McFall, she is uh, the longtime assistant at, at Texas. So whenever they blew up that staff and Connie, got, Connie Clark got hot, fired at Texas, uh, she moved down to Kansas, and she's putting together a team that's won some 
big games this past year. And then you add to it what now we have come to expect from Oklahoma State. I think they're making a push, you know, to be – to me, they're solidly the third-best conference in college softball right now, which is crazy because the defending champ comes from the ACC. It's no longer Oklahoma, maybe Baylor, and everybody else. Now it is Oklahoma, and then right below them is Texas, Oklahoma State, Baylor's going to be back. Texas Tech nearly knocked off LSU in Baton Rouge. Iowa State had – I didn't know how they ended up doing in the kind of NIT of college softball. I mean, there is – looking forward, there is a chance of the seven teams that play college softball. Six of those could find themselves in position to play in the postseason next year. And when I say the postseason, I mean the NCAA tournament. This year, six teams did play. In the post, or pardon me, five teams played in the postseason. But next year, whenever Baylor gets healthy, um, I think there's a chance that they could get just about every – they could be in that SEC category. It's going to be hard because they're not going to be talked about as national championship contenders beyond Oklahoma and maybe next year with Texas. But, you know, and and who knows, maybe Oklahoma State makes a nice little run this year and it's a completely different story. But uh, I just – I think it's been one of the better storylines that has started to come to fruition over the last couple of weeks is just how good this league truly is. And you've got to be paying attention pretty close to, to see it. And I don't know how many people really truly pay attention that closely to the sport, but that number is growing and that number is increasing. And uh, they're going to start seeing exactly what's going on in this conference because, you know, from, from Patty Gatto to Kenny Gajewski to Glenn Moore to – uh, Mike White to what to Adrian Gregory to Jamie Pinkerton Jennifer McFalls. I mean, there are really really good coaches in this conference, and these programs are just going to keep getting better. All right, looking at the bracket, uh, who scares you when it, when you look at you know open up with Alabama potential of having uh, Bedlam uh, in in the game two? Who scares you in this bracket? Alabama <laughs> <laughs> right out the gate. <laughs> so. I, I have been pretty consistent in this thought, and it's and it's funny because I had said whenever the the before the field was announced, I told a friend of mine I think Oklahoma and Alabama are going to play for the national championship, and then lo and behold, Alabama ends up as the eight seed, so uh, Oklahoma gets the one, and you realize, oh well, my championship matchup would indeed end up being the first game of the NCAA tournament, but. I honestly think if Oklahoma can get by Alabama on Thursday night, and I think, I think they're the better team. I think Oklahoma's the better team than Alabama. Alabama has a staff like Oklahoma does. They have three pitchers they use. They're all three very good. I know everyone seems to know now about Montana Fouts because they had the viral video where they put the stack of cement blocks and she was pitching around him. So everyone's wowed by that. But listen, Crystal Goodman is just as solid as is Sarah Cornell, who I think was the SEC pitcher of the year. So they've got a very good staff. Guess what? So does Oklahoma. So to me, if they can get by Alabama and stay in a position to where they can get Saturday off, I think they're significantly better than Florida or Oklahoma State. The other side of the bracket is so compelling to me, Matt, because you would think UCLA, I mean, it's, it's 75% Pac-12. You know, right. just like you've got 50-50 in bracket two with SEC and Big 12. Then you've got three Pac-12 teams and one Big 10 team over on the other side. But, you know, Washington is a lot like Oklahoma to where they've just become consistent. Arizona is the team that kind of has got hot late, kind of Florida State from last year. But Minnesota, Minnesota's got an eight. You know, Minnesota kind of has this 
uh, eerie reminder to me of what Oklahoma had with Paige Parker. So I just, in, in, in my opinion, I think you could see Minnesota be a sleeper out of the, the top part of the bracket. But uh, I think, honestly, I think if Oklahoma can get by Alabama, and I feel completely confident that, confident that they can, if they can, um, if they can get by Bama, I think they've got a great shot of playing on Sunday with a team needing to beat them twice in in order to end up making the uh, national championship champ or the championship series. All right. So tell uh, tell the listeners how can they get you uh, starting Thursday night pregame? How can they find your coverage? Uh, Twitter, radio shows. Oh. How can they find you? We've got you covered, Matt. We uh, we're working right now as we speak uh, as we're taping this. We are working on getting this game on the network, and that would mean that essentially you'd be able to find us just about anywhere, and I'm hoping that's going to be the case. Tune in Radio App, many others will have it. If not, if not, uh, we will definitely be on 107.7 FM, the franchise in Oklahoma City. We've been on 1560 AM all season long, and uh, find us streaming. Simply search either iHeart or TuneIn Radio for the uh, franchise too is what you have to look for we'll have all of that information as well at OU on the air and one of the best things that we like to do during the broadcast is uh is talk about where you're listening from it's one of the great things about the the reach of the Sooner Radio Network and Sooner Softball so love to hear from everyone on Thursday night at OU on the air and we'll have tons of coverage in fact uh, as you and I were talking we just got done taping Spotlight had a chance to talk to Reagan Rogers you know we do a podcast as well too and JT Gasso is our special guest. So we got a lot going on as far as coverage, man. And, uh, Matt, I'm, just, I'm excited to get out there. I can't wait to get there on Thursday night. I, I don't know what I'm going to do outside of bite my nails all day Thursday, but it should be a fun countdown. Well, I know I've checked in with you guys a couple of times when I've uh, been in a position to listen on the, on the radio, and uh, you guys do a great job. Uh, best in the business, real fast before we let you go, give us your championship prediction. You said you, say, you think you can see OU coming out of their bracket. Who survives the other bracket and meets OU in the final? I like UCLA a lot, um, Rachel Garcia. I, I think it would be really fun to see OU and UCLA play for the championship. That would be one versus two. That would be Sid Romero versus Rachel Garcia, and that would be one of the teams that actually beat Oklahoma this year. But uh, I think it's going to be Oklahoma and maybe maybe a little bit of a sleeper. I think it could be I think it could be Oklahoma and Arizona for the national championship coming up here in a here in a couple of weeks. And it wouldn't surprise me at all to see Minnesota scare some people on the top half of that bracket. But now that I've mentioned every other team on the top half of the bracket, uh, I'll say Oklahoma and uh, Arizona for the national championship starting on Monday. All right, the one and only Chris Plank. Chris, thanks so much for your time, brother. Thanks, Matt. I appreciate it. Have a great week, right. man. Take care. Well, there you have it. Chris agrees with you about the uh, level of difficulty of the Norman Regional. You had said one of the most difficult in the country. Right. I don't think I fully got on board with you on that in our last episode. So wait, wait, wait. Are you there now? I, I mean, if you say it, Chris says it, I guess I got to jump in there. But, I mean, I don't know. I just here, – here's the thing. When, when, when you look at – Chris brought up a good point. You, you've got the, the bracket that Oklahoma's in. You've got – Two SEC schools and two Big 12 schools, 50-50. And then you look at the other bracket, and three of the four schools are the Pac-12. At some point, you got to say, if you're the SEC and you had everybody in there, I mean, literally, everybody from the SEC made the tournament, but you only got three to Oklahoma, you got two to Oklahoma City, but then the Pac-12 had a pretty good representation as well. They only got three to Oklahoma City, and then the Big 12, 
got two to Oklahoma City. Someone's overrated in that. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So somewhere there's an overrated conference, and it's not the Big Twelve. Oh, I thought the Big Twelve only had. Correct me if I'm wrong here, but was it three teams? No, you, you had Oklahoma. Or did you have four? Yeah, you had Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. They're they're in, yep. and then you had Texas Tech Texas and Tech. Texas. Okay, I, and I, Texas. Right. Here's the thing: Texas pushed Alabama. Texas mm-hmm. didn't lose to Alabama. Texas lost to their catcher. Did you see what happened? I, I didn't actually. I mean, do you know anything about no, it? No. So I was I was scrolling through Twitter today, and I was seeing all of the posts of of how did they get here. Right. Um, and the only uh, there were a couple highlights from that game that I had sat down and watched, but it didn't show anything that led me believe that it was a catcher's fault. Let's put it that way. I'm going to I'm going to see if I can find this and and I'm, I I'm going to play it for you. I I'm, I'm going to let you watch it live while we're recording just for your reaction because again, Texas did not lose to Alabama. They lost to their catcher and that's just that's just the truth of the situation. But but the reality is, I mean, the Big 12 Big 12 had good representation, and I think moving forward, one of the things that uh, that we talk about or will continue to talk about is the rise of Big 12 softball. Chris got into it uh, on the interview. I mean, and I've said this, I've said this for a long time that if if you took Oklahoma away, which you can't do that, Oklahoma State hands down wins the Big 12. And and the thing is, is that it just it drives me nuts. The one thing that that and, and I'm I'm an Oklahoma fan, so I got a little bit of uh, a bias, I guess, towards um, towards Let, Texas or I mean anti anti bias, whatever. But here's the thing: if you take away Oklahoma, Oklahoma State's hands down the best team in the Big Twelve, and it drove me nuts that Texas was ranked ahead of Oklahoma State. But Texas. Texas would have beaten, in my opinion, would have beaten Alabama had it not been for this play right here. I'm, I'm going to let you watch okay. it. Okay, no, no, no. I have seen that. I oh, thought okay. you were talking about something completely no, different. Because she takes out the top soon, pitcher. As soon as, yeah, but here's the thing, Matt. When you're looking at that situation, you've got to look at what the score is already. It's not, it's not Oklahoma's defense. It's that they're not producing runs. Alabama's up 3-0 at that point in the game. True, but look, you lose. Alish, I think, is her name. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, if, if for, for those of you listening and you don't know what play we're talking about, there's a dead ball. Alabama's got runners on. There's a dead ball that she tries to bunt. It's foul. The umpire calls foul. And the Texas pitcher just totally drops her guard. And the catcher is trying to throw down the runner. I just, she Because the umpire's standing behind her. She doesn't know it's a dead ball. She's trying to throw down the runner at second base. And just destroys the Texas pitcher, hits her right in the face with the ball, and throw down to second. Texas used that as a rallying point to win that game. Al- Alabama? No, or Texas, Texas won oh. that game. They're they're losing. They okay. win that. They come back okay. and win that game. But then they don't have their ace for the game three and the championship game of that super regional. And they barely lost. They lost it by three runs. So you're telling me I, I just I feel like Texas has a better chance, a much better chance of, of beating Alabama. You know. So I don't know. I'm just saying I feel like the Big Twelve is better softball than just two teams in Oklahoma City. But T- Texas Tech gave LSU a run for their money. We we've we've gone in detail far too much about Texas softball than I want to talk about anyway. Let's talk about Oklahoma City, Alabama, Oklahoma Thursday night in the opener. Um 
I'm just going to put you on the line, on the spot here. You got Florida versus Oklahoma State, Oklahoma versus Alabama. The two winners will play each other. The two losers will play each other. Will we will or will we won't have Bedlam on Friday? (laughs) I don't think we do. Um, You come to Oklahoma City, and I, I think a lot has to do with experience of being in this situation and that's something that Oklahoma State doesn't have. Are they going to have the crowd? Absolutely, but we know that each of the eight teams coming to Oklahoma City travel fairly decently and that's from experience, Matt. You have been there, I have been there. There's always a packed stadium, doesn't matter who's playing and there's always a raucous fan base for each of the two teams that are in that contest. Oklahoma State, I think they've got a, a very difficult pairing with Florida because Again, the experience there, but also the pitching staff that Florida is bringing with them. We can talk about the defense of Oklahoma State and how phenomenal it's been all season long. The one key component that they've been missing that would have propelled them potentially to Big 12 championship status was that pitching. And Oklahoma State has been on an incredible ride so far. It's it's hard for me to count them out of a game because I don't ever fully believe that they are. But again, I'm looking at that experience. I'm looking at the bullpen of Florida and saying that Oklahoma State, I believe, has a tougher draw than Oklahoma versus number eight Alabama. Yeah, I can see. And Florida bounced Oklahoma State last year in the in the tournament, not in the World Series, obviously, but in the NCAA tournament. Florida bounced them out. Here, here's it. Here, my only take with Oklahoma State is this: I feel like they're dangerous right now. They're they're a team that's absolutely that's gaining momentum. And anytime you go to Tallahassee, and I mean, regardless, you go on the road and you knock off the defending national champion. Mm-hmm. I think it, it, it. Florida, Florida's not going to take Oklahoma State lightly, and I don't think it's, I don't think it's hands down a given that Florida wins this game. Right, I, I'm not I, saying I do, that either. I, I'm with you. I like Oklahoma's matchup versus Alabama better than Oklahoma State versus Florida. I, I, I agree with Chris Plank. I think pitching across the board between Oklahoma and Alabama is good. Both of them are deep. And, and they've got quality staffs. I like Oklahoma's offense better than Alabama's offense. Mm-hmm. I do think Oklahoma State has a has a more difficult draw, but I thought they had a more difficult draw in the Super Regional. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm thinking. Yeah, that, and I remember the 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 night the Super Regional started, I was visiting with a friend, and he's a big Oklahoma State fan, and we were talking about it, and I was like, "Hey, um, they're a good team. And I've, I've been talking about how good Oklahoma State is all season long. They're a good team. And my exact words were, they just got a tough draw. They just got a tough draw in this Super Regional, and I expected them to bounce, to be bounced out. Mm-hmm. If you're an Oklahoma fan, you're, you're, the to me, the Regional was more difficult than the Super Regional. I mean, Northwestern has now played four games against Oklahoma and has yet to score. <laughs> so, I mean, you got that going for you. I I was encouraged by the level of offense we saw on Saturday. You know, five home runs in right. the game. Um, do you feel like Oklahoma's in a good place? I mean, as, as a guy, you know, you watched them lose a week ago to Wisconsin and then come back and beat Wisconsin in that decisive game. And then they just sweep Northwestern. I don't think Northwestern was as good as Wisconsin, but you watch them sweep Northwestern. I mean, I, I really they don't. They play in the same conference, I, I know, man. I know. I, I, I get that. But <laughs> – you watch him sweep Northwestern. Do you feel better than 
I mean, seeing them go into the in, in, into this World Series, the only game that they've given up runs in the postseason was that 2-0 loss to Wisconsin on Sunday. Do you feel better seeing them win back-to-back shutouts and where, especially one where they 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 clinched it with five home runs? Do you, you feel like they're in a good place? I I feel better for this reason, okay, um, because they didn't solely have to rely on G. Juarez. Now we've singled her out as the best pitcher of this staff, clearly. As she's been a candidate for player of the year, we expect her to be All-American once the Women's College World Series rolls around. But here's what I'm looking at is the ability for Patty Gasso to say, no, we're going to we're gonna throw Mariah Lopez, and then Shannon Sale is going to come in and close that out. I think that goes or speaks volumes of her confidence in this team, and I think it speaks volumes of the defense that Oklahoma has. But you're absolutely right with the offense and the confidence booster that we have with those five home runs Oklahoma on both sides of the ball is just a very difficult pairing okay one team that's not in the postseason Oklahoma baseball just quick thoughts I mean it's young team just terrible 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 conference play um but I mean how you feel I I I mean, you, I mean, I don't. I, I've seen some people on Twitter, some people on Facebook talk about maybe it's time to to reevaluate Skip Johnson. I, I don't. I'm not I, there. I don't agree with that. Uh, okay, either. I'm not there because no, I, no, I look no. at the the youth of this team. Mm-hmm. I think they're going to get better. Skip Skip doesn't really have his own recruits, and if if we're going to judge Skip well, Johnson gonna, on I'm anything, I'm going to stop you there because I, I because he's with the team under Pete. Yeah, Hughes. he was there I with Pete. Yeah, I get it. But what we have to look at if you're if you're asking me and it's solely my decision, the one thing I'm considering is Skip Johnson's a pitcher's coach. Has the pitching progressed to a level where we feel like it hasn't stagnated? That it's it's actually moving forward. I think it is. I, think, I agree with that, and, and I can't I can't say you judge him off of the right. the bats at this point. In time. Yeah, that's got to pick up. I mean, mm-hmm. that that's definitely got to pick up for next season. But I, it's way way too early to start right. having the. But here's the thing: it, we we talked about this is what this team needs to do. To get into postseason, we 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 talked about it last week in detail. Yeah, we, we talked like, about got, a win in the you, Big Twelve. You got to win one game, and mm-hmm. and there's no doubt in my mind, Oklahoma has probably the worst inning in like the history of Oklahoma baseball yeah. against TCU, giving up two touchdowns in that fourth mm-hmm. inning where the the frogs hang 14 runs. TCU is in the tournament. Oklahoma's not. I I, I fully believe if Oklahoma wins that game and eliminates TCU. Then they're in the tournament. I and agree. So that's and, just and we're not even having this conversation. Right, exactly. So, so all right, Sooner uh, Nation, uh, the online podcast for Heartland Sports, Heartland Sports is where you can find us. We're on Twitter at Sports Heartland at Sports Heartland on Twitter. We're going to talk some Oklahoma football next. One thing, Matt, I want to ask if you had seen, I know that I brought it up very briefly in a conversation, was the comments about the NFL draft. John Gruden, the Oakland Raiders, and Kyler Murray. Heading in to the draft, there was a lot of speculation surrounding Kyler Murray, the Arizona Cardinals potentially trading trading down, and Oakland scooping up that number one pick, potentially scooping up Kyler Murray. However, what we've seen, John Gruden has released this statement about the draft, about the number one overall pick, and about Kyler Murray. And the the basic gist of it was this. It was, we love 
Kyler Murray. We love the potential. We love his play style, but we were never considering trading for that number one pick, and we were never considering essentially drafting a quarterback, but more specifically, Kyler Murray. Give me your thoughts. I, I think it's bogus. I mean, I, I just there, – there's no way, in my opinion, there's no way that's true because there, there was too much – there was too much speculation. I, I think you could say, hey, uh, Arizona, how many of our first-round draft picks would you want for that top pick? And Arizona was like, all three of them? From that point, yeah, maybe we're not considering it anymore because we're not willing to give up all three picks. Mm-hmm. But to say that there was no consideration at all, here, here's what I, I think it's saving face a little bit. But also you got to figure out what to do with David Carr because there was so much talk about John Gruden and his quarterbacks, and there was talk about David Carr not being the type of quarterback that John Gruden wants to work with. I mean the guy won a Super Bowl, Trent Dilfer. Surely he can do something with David Carr. But the reality is I don't buy this. I don't buy it at all. I think I also disagree. I think you, you said that in that comment that they don't, they're not going to look for a, a quarterback next year. I'm willing to think. I said that to you yesterday. Yeah, yeah. I'm willing mm-hmm. to say right now the Raiders draft a quarterback in 2020. Yeah, 2020 is it's going to be stock full of quality quarterbacks for sure. Here's where I'm on the opposite side of the fence of you because I I do believe that the Raiders weren't ever going to pick a quarterback, and I don't think they were really going to consider one in the 2019 draft. You have to look top to bottom what was actually available and ask if it's better than what you have on the roster. While that answer may be yes, it's how long does it take to get them there? Are you still having to keep Carr on that roster on a contract? Potentially uh, another yes answer to a question, but here's what – why why I'm buying into it, Matt, is because you had Kyler Murray, you had Dwayne Haskins, you had Drew Locke, you had – I can't remember the other first-round pick quarterback-wise uh, because it was – I feel like a complete shock to a lot of people. But you had – the kid from Duke that went You to had the Giants. Four, four quarterbacks drafted in the first round, and the Raiders didn't take one. Instead, they had another surprise pick of their own when they picked Clellan Farrell from Clemson. Yeah, I just like I said, I'm buying into John Gruden's I'm statement. I, I'm not in that they. I don't believe that they were taking a quarterback. I think you got to. Yeah, I think you got to say something at this point to keep David David Carr on board. And I think that's what this is. All right, here's what I think happened. I think. I mean, John Gruden looked at the Raiders and he's like, "Man, this is a a messed up group of football players right now. Where do I start, offense or defense?" And once he realized that they weren't going to use one of those top those those three first round picks to get one of the top five or ten picks. Once he realized that they're not going to get one of the quarterbacks that was on their board, he made the decision to rebuild with defense. And if you look at it, it was a defensive draft yeah, for, for sure. John Gruden. And I think now you got to say some things to keep but, David Carr happy. You know, the other thing is I do believe that they, they went in. Yes, Matt, the majority of the picks specifically for the Raiders were on the defensive side of the ball, but they also got some skill position players that I think they're setting themselves up for the future. If that is 2020, so yeah. be it. But they got a running back, a tight end, and a receiver out of this draft as well. Like I said, I believe they're setting themselves up for the future instead of saying the future is 
now, which again lends itself a hand towards the okay, maybe, maybe, maybe it is that the cost was too high for Kyler Murray. But when that cost was there, it was uh, okay, he was the only one we were interested in. But again, I'm holding, sticking to my guns here. I'm believing John Gruden and saying, I, I initially, before the draft, was completely on board with it. After the comments, I, I flipped sides. He's holding out for Jalen Hurts. <laughs> and, now, and now you've got a, um, you know, you got. I mean, run. you can get a 2021 quarterback who would no, be really good. They, they need Trevor 20, Lawrence. They need a 2020 quarterback, and, and now he's got he's got Josh Jacobs who can say, I, I, you know, all the other teams that burned me and didn't want me, and now I'm going to play in the NFL and and to prove myself to those other whatever. <laughs> um, okay, so um, real real fast, <laughs> something that I don't know if you you know about Brew McCoy, Texas, uh, the crown jewel in the, in the Texas uh, Longhorns 2019 signing class is looking to transfer put most likely back to USC. Um, so that was on Monday. On Tuesday, Zach Evans, the nation's number one running back, who many expected to go to Texas – he released his top five, and Texas isn't in it. So um, I just remember a lot of the uh, tweets that were coming out from the Texas Longhorns uh, recruiting staff about how things were really popping down in Austin. And turns out <laughs> they're maybe not popping as well as they thought. Okay, here we go. Big 12 receivers. We've been doing this. We've done quarterbacks. We've done running backs. Time to look at receivers, pass catchers. Uh, we throw tight ends in there as well. We're going to rank from first to worst, or excuse me, from worst to first. And we're up against the gun a little bit time-wise. I, I don't think we can jump into this fully the way we have in the past. And there's so many receivers to talk about. So here's what we're going to do. From 10 through 5, we're going to just tell you the school. If you want to say anything about it, we're going we're gonna to say the school. But then um, – then five, four, three, two, and one. We'll give a little more detail. Sound good? Yeah, works right. for me. So number ten, you've got who? I have to go first. Yeah. I'm kidding. Um, I put Kansas down at the bottom. Okay, I'm with you, uh, Kansas, and I think Les Miles is going to really look to JUCO transfers here uh, to to build to build his uh, to build his legacy there as the Kansas coach. Will Les Miles do better than Charlie Weiss? Recruiting wise, I absolutely believe so. I mean, which, on the field, which product. then leads to a, a better on the field product. Okay. I believe number that's where I was going, <laughs> okay. man. That's where All I right, was going. All right. Number nine, I've got West Virginia, and here's the thing: I don't know anything about West Virginia. They lost four receivers, and mm -hmm. so I don't, I don't know. I, I can't name one receiver for the West Virginia Mountaineers. Yeah, I'm there with you. The loss of Sims, Sims, Sims. Uh -huh. Yeah, well, the, seals. The, the, that's seals. Seals. That's yeah, what I was yeah. thinking of. Yeah, I, the loss of the quarterback obviously has a lot to do with how these receivers produce. But I've got West Virginia out of the bottom with you. All right. So you uh, give me your number. Uh, your number eight. My, my next one's Kansas State. Man, I don't have Kansas State at number eight. I've got Iowa State. And here's the thing, though. Um, Iowa State has a receiver that transferred over from Arkansas that may kind of be a little bit of a of a of a, a boost to them, but I've got them at number eight. I've got Kansas State uh, number seven because uh, I like their tight end Liner is his name, and then they've got Zumber who's been injured but is coming back. I think they're going to be. I, I I just just when I look at what Iowa State lost and what Kansas mm. State has, I got Kansas State number seven. Yeah, and I I've just flipped those for us with Iowa State coming in seven. Kansas State coming in at number eight. Number six for me is Texas Tech at this point in time. I'm leaving Texas Tech outside of the top five despite the system that they run. 
Well, because we don't know. I've got Texas Tech number six as well. The Vasher kid, I think, is going to potentially have a breakout season, stepping up into that role of, of number one. But you don't know. It, I don't know what the uh, I don't know what the rest of the receivers look like around him, and I don't know what the offense is going to look like. So there's our there's our ten through six. I've got Kansas, West Virginia, Iowa State, Kansas State, Texas Tech. Rich has got Kansas, West Virginia, Kansas State, Iowa State, Texas Tech. We're going to take our final break, and then we're going to come back and give you our top five. You're listening to the Sooner Nation podcast. All right, well, let's jump in here. Top five uh, receiver positions for the Big 12. Um, I'm going with, at number five, the Baylor Bears. I like Denzel Mims. Um, I think, you know, he's a big body receiver. I'm all I'm all about big body receivers. 6'3, 208 pounds. Here's the thing. He 55 receptions last year for 794 yards, eight touchdowns, and he wasn't even the go-to guy. Jalen Hurd, who transferred in, was the their their primary receiver. Mims will go back to being their primary receiver. I really feel he'll be a thousand-yard guy. I don't know about the surrounding cast with him. I know Chris Platt. I think it's like – honestly, I think it's like his sixth year of college eligibility now because of the injuries. But I, I, I think if he's healthy, that gives them a good base to start with. So I've got Baylor number five. I went with Baylor number five for a lot of the reasons that you've mentioned here. Denzel Mims obviously going to anchor this group. I do believe without him competing for that prime role in this offense as a receiver that he will have the potentially the best year of his career in 2019. And a similar guy at number four for me, I'm looking at, at TCU, Jalen Rager takes over as Potentially the fastest receiver in the conference with Hollywood Brown gone. But here's what I'm looking at. A guy who can get behind defenses, a guy who can make himself available to a quarterback is extremely vital in this league. And if you do that, then it opens these other guys up. I believe that his presence makes TCU better and makes their receiving core better. But what I'm looking at is, are they going to have a quarterback who can actually get him the ball? I think they will. I've got TCU number four as well. Basically, I think we have the same list. We could have just done our list. Uh, Seven and eight were the only uh, discrepancies we have. Jalen Rager, I don't think he's going to be one of the fastest receivers in the Big 12. He'll be one of the fastest in the country. He's going to be a guy that they're going to try to get him in space as much Mm -hmm. as they can. Yeah, uh, you're, gonna see a lot of, you're gonna see a lot of screens, a lot of inside slants, uh, just trying to get him out there into open space. Uh, talented, talented kid, and I do think that they're they're gonna get the quarterback situation uh, figured out. I've got Texas number three. Uh, you you had we had talked about Texas receivers, you know, little Jordan Humphrey gone to the NFL, but Colin Johnson again, big body receiver, six foot six, two hundred and twenty pounds. He'll become the primary target, and he's gonna be a, he's gonna be tough to handle. I mean, six six two twenty, he he's gonna be able to out jump smaller defensive backs he's going to be able to body defensive backs he he's going to be those guys that here's here's what to watch out for with colin johnson look at just go through as the season starts um and you're going to see him catching passes look where the defensive back is look at the positioning of the defensive back i'm going to call this right now i'm willing to bet that greater than 50 percent and still just photos of of johnson catching passes and greater than 50% of the time, the defender is either going to be falling backwards or on the ground because he's a big body receiver that knows how to push off and get away with it. He is going to be a force in the Big 12, one of Ellinger's top – probably his – with looking at the running back situation, probably his primary weapon for Ellinger is going to be Johnson. Yeah, I'm in a similar boat with you. 
knowing the size that he possesses, knowing what they were capable of doing with Lil Jordan Humphreys last year. I, I see a very similar product out of Johnson here and him assuming So that you really top have role. Texas number three as yeah, well? Yeah, I really so do So that means Texas we're going to go two three. and one the same as no, well. No, we're not. Oh, we're we not? May, we, oh, may okay. not. we may not. We may not. Okay, all right. Here's, here's the thing for me is, is Johnson's going to present potentially the most difficult matchup in the country for any defender simply because of that size, because of the strength, because of the experience there. I've got Texas number three. Mine's really based off of an individual who's going to be that top receiver more than it is based off of the entire group which may be a little bit of an unfair statement for my next team, which is Oklahoma. You are shaking your head I mean, you, at this point in time. Look, you, you choose, choose your words mm-hmm. wisely from this point forward because you are about to get excommunicated from Sooner Nation Look, if you're not careful. Here's the thing. CeeDee Lamb takes over the role, number one target for this Oklahoma offense. I think, again, you're looking at a big physical receiver who has game-breaking ability. This is a guy who put up 100 yards five times last season. I think he's capable of doing that plus some in this upcoming season, but I, I can't put him at number one at this point in time. All right, well, I've, I've got your number one at my number two then, <laughs> which is going to be Oklahoma State. I mm-hmm. like Tylen Wallace. I really do. Yeah. I, 86 catches last year, 1,491 yards, just shy of 1,500, 12 touchdowns. He led the Big 12 uh, in yards, also ranked number two in the nation. But he also had Johnson there with him. He had guys around him that he wasn't the primary target uh, as far as the defense. You can't just give all your focus on him. you got to focus on some of these other guys. He's not going to have them this coming year. I I like him. He was a Blitnikoff finalist, one of the three finalists. <laughs> I can't put him number one. I think CeeDee Lamb because CeeDee Lamb will have what Wallace had last year. He's got guys around him. He's got guys like Grant Calcaterra. He's mm-hmm. got Charleston Rambo. We talk, we've talked in depth about this talented group of freshmen. You cannot focus just on CeeDee Lamb. CeeDee Lamb's going to have a career season. He's going to be the best receiver in the Big 12 this year. And, I mean, I, hands down, to me, when you consider across the board, this is the number one receiving group in See, the Big 12. It's it's hard for me. I'm I I don't know that I can disagree with that final statement that you made. And that's why I prefaced it with saying it's really based on on individuals more than it is a complete group, which again may be unfair in these rankings. I do have Oklahoma State number 1, Tylen Wallace. You've mentioned it, a Belinikov Award finalist. You don't get there without having the ability to take all of the attention and still produce. Oklahoma, they're, I'm not saying CeeDee Lamb can't get there, but they don't have a guy who's been a finalist on the roster. You look at Wallace, who's only going to be a junior this season, the first time that he's going to be an upperclassman. He's going to lead, maybe not the Big 12, but he's certainly going to lead this team, and he's going to be what this group rallies around at Oklahoma State in Stillwater. Is he gone after this season? Very possibly. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say I think, he'll I think stay. Look at both. Just depends on the the draft grade he gets. So, so let's go back. I mean, um, I think he's gone. I, I think he could have left after last season had he been eligible. I think he's gone. Uh, obviously, C.D. Lamb is gone. Mm-hmm. Grant Calcaterra is he gone? 
I I think so. Yeah, I agree. I think I, I think, think so. I think when you look at this uh, this this season for these receivers mm-hmm. at Oklahoma, it's kind of a passing of the torch. You know, right. changing the guard, whatever mm-hmm. analogy you want to put in there, because uh, you know, I I think Austin Tra- Stogner's a guy. Well, I, I Stogner, still don't know how they Stogner, keep him off the field. Right. Now. I think he's going to push Calcaterra. The only thing is 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 how polished Calcaterra is going to oh, right. be. His mm-hmm. third year in. He's got the experience, um, and, and again, I always go back. If you want to know, if you want to know the quality of a receiver that Calcaterra is, go back and look at that final touchdown in the Big Twelve Championship where he catch. Everybody talks about the amazing one-handed catch that he made against Texas, but no one really talks about the reason why it was a one-handed catch. The reason why it's a one-handed catch is because he's being held <laughs> right. and literally by his left arm, and so he has to use his right arm to catch mm-hmm. the pass. That's the quality of receiver Oklahoma has in Calcaterra. I don't. Uh, Stogner is going to be good, but is I think 2020 Stogner may be on that level. That's going to be the advantage that Calcaterra has. But I, I think Calcaterra. Um, here's just real quick, Calcaterra. Lamb and Trey Sermon all gone after the, this is their final season in Norman. Um, real quick before we close out the podcast, uh, we got a pretty good job at getting it closer to on time than I thought we would when we started. But NBA Finals Warriors, how many? Here, here here's the problem for me, Matt. Is it's extremely hard to pick against the Warriors. Um, but if you wanted to read into anything, Toronto and Golden State met twice in the regular season. You know Golden State didn't win a single one of those games? Well, no, I mean, and it was a seven-point average difference. Here's what's going to happen. If Toronto has first two games at home, mm-hmm. they're going to play better defense than anyone in Golden State has played in the playoffs to this point. But Golden State's still the best team in the NBA. Right. I, I think Toronto's got a shot at, at winning some games, especially without Kevin Durant in the lineup. If he's available, he's expected to travel to Toronto. Right. If he's available after games one and two, it's it's just it's a matchup nightmare for Toronto because I don't know how you guard Clay Thompson, Draymond Green. I always feel like I say his name wrong. Kevin Durant and Steph Curry with the roster that Toronto has. I mean, all I know is that Kawhi Leonard's four losses away from being. Uh, LA Clipper. That's <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. He's Rich. I'm Matt. Sooner Nation podcast. Thanks so much for listening and tuning in. Uh, our last podcast together in the same room because I'm off to Latin America on Sunday, but we'll keep it going uh, through the interwebs. Uh, thanks so much for listening. Have a fantastic week. Enjoy the World Series. We'll have much, a lot of coverage at heartland-sports.com. Uh, you can find our uh, photo galleries from the games. You can find previews and recaps. It'll all be there waiting on you. Boomer Sooner, everybody.